Do you have to say a bracha? Let's say I'm having my smoothie that my wife made for me, and it's not a kazai, it's not a revius, okay? It doesn't have the proper amount. Do I still say a bracha, or am I exempt from saying a shehakolni abidvaro? Okay? So I won't make you do this every time, but all in favor of you still have to say a bracha, raise your hand. And everyone looks around and sees their friends. All, all in favor of. You're, you're good. You don't have to say anything because you don't have to excite. You're a brave soul. There we go. So somebody's shown that we have a little bit of it. it was, I, it's not a complete misconception. So the halakha is like this. The Gemara in Bracha says the following. Tanur Rabbanan. It's Bracha Salamid Hey. Amad Aleph, if you want to look it up. Or I can send you the source sheet later. Asur lo ladam min bracha. It is forbidden for a person to take pleasure from this world with, uh, without saying a blessing. Okay? And we're going to talk actually in my other class, spirituality, about why this is. But the basic concept is God wants us to enjoy the world. But like a father who gives his son pizza, and he doesn't just want you to take pizza from the fridge and then, you know, go to your room and not say thank you. He wants us to appreciate it. And so every little bit of food in the world or drink in the world, we are obligated to say thank you. There are a few specific exceptions. Okay? So even if you take a tiny little bit of Smoothie, you have to say a bracha. However, almost all of our halachic misconceptions are coming from somewhere. It's not just stam. I'll get to your question in just one second. It's not just stam. They're always like, oh, it's something related, but it's a little bit not exactly. So why do many people believe that you don't have to say a bracha if you don't have a reviz of, uh, of drink or a kazai food, yeah? Excellent. Because the Torah says, v'achalta v'savata uveirachta. You should eat, you should be satisfied, and then you should bless. So the Gemara learns that, that only when you're satisfied do you have a halachic obligation to bless. The bracha achrona is about satisfaction, okay? The bracha rishona is not about satisfaction, it's just about enjoyment. And for that reason, as long as you're enjoying, you must say a blessing and bring that heavenly blessing down to the universe. And, but for a bracha achrona, you need to have a certain kazayas or a certain amount, which was satiating person. Make sense? Sounds good? Learn something new? Okay. Hope by the end of this class we all learn at least one new thing. Okay? Good. Second interesting halacha from that very same Gemara. What should a person do if he doesn't say, a, if he doesn't know the bracha? Right? We've all been in a situation. You have, I don't know, schnitzel and there's a little breadcrumbs. And do I say a mitzi? Do I say a shako? So everybody knows what are you supposed to do if you don't know the bracha? Yeah? Say a shako. Excellent. By the way, you could also say your name, so I get to know you. Not that I'll remember, but you know, maybe by the end of the year. Uh, Tara says... Tara. Tara. Sorry? Tara. Kara. Sure. <laughs> Close enough. Listen, my name in, in English is Keith. So every time an Israeli calls me up, they say, Keith, Kate. After a while, I'm just like, yeah, it's close enough. So it's okay. It's all Kate. Anyways, so, um, so yes... Most people believe that you, you can just say a bracha and a shako covers everything. But the truth is the Gemara says a little bit differently. It's almost correct, but not really correct. The Gemara says, If you get enjoyment from this world without saying blessing, it's like stealing. What should a person do if he um, has messed up and doesn't know the brachas? Go to a wise person. And says, why? What? Does I magically I go to a wise person and it, you know, fixes my mistakes? No, the says, my Abi what does that do? 
אמר רבא, ילך את הלכוך מעיקר ולמדינו רחות, כדי שלא יבוא לידי מעילה. If I go to a wise person, he'll teach me the Hilchos Brachos, right? The equivalent of like an app nowadays that tells you all the Brachos. Or uh, old school days when we read books, you read, open up the Hilchos Brachos books, right? So if you don't know the, the law, ask someone and get and figure out what the Bracha is, okay? That is what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to just say, yeah, I'll just say a shakal. You're supposed to figure out what the Halacha is, call your friend, call a rabbi, go on the app, and then say the proper Bracha, okay? However... Bidi Ebed, I'm sure you guys are familiar, Bidi Ebed means if you can't, not best case scenario, the second best situation, the Shulchan Aruch does right, that Aochel is in Orechayim Reish Yud Aleph 211 in the Shulchan If you don't know, so then you just say the Shakoni Abdurah. Of course, there's, there's another situation you have a fruit and, you, and you're not sure if it's a fruit or a vegetable and you said an adama, then that also covers the fruit because fruit comes from vegetables. Okay, so then in certain situations you would say an adama and that would cover your eggs. But the point I'm pra- trying to get across is the following. I, have, I forgot about your question. I'll get back to you. It's okay. I answered it? Or just not anymore? Okay, so, well. so then the idea I'm trying to say is if you don't know the bracha, you should ask your friend, you should ask your rabbi, you should go to an app. But if you didn't, and you said a shackle, you're good. You're covered. It counted. Okay? Make sense? Cool? All good? Clear? I'll tell you one situation where I used to advise people to just say a shackle. I used to work in an outreach camp, Camp Nagila. Maybe some of you have heard of it. Yeah? So uh, these kids are primarily coming from not uh, observant households. And so it's very hard for them to say brachos. And to remember what's an eight and a dumb and a shaka and all this stuff, it's totally a foreign concept. At the end of the year, at the summer, I would always tell them, if you want to say a bracha, just say a shako. Just always say a shako and you're covered. So, bidiyavit, it's good, it works. But ideally, you know, especially for, you know, seminary girls and we're learning all the lachas, we should learn the proper brachas for each thing so that we can tap into the special spiritual qualities of each uh, fruit and each vegetable and each item and thank God very specifically. Because that's the best way to thank Hashem. Sounds good? Makes, makes sense? Often when we understand the rationale behind things, it, it, it helps clear up a lot of these halakhic uh, misconceptions that we have. Sounds good? Okay. Fun. All right. Let's do another very classic one. And that is... Washing. Okay? So who's heard of the following halakhic misconception? If I wash my hands to eat bread... And I spoke. Oops, I saw my best friend again. Oh, no, shoot. I have to wash again. Or I have to say a bracha again. Okay, you don't have to raise your hands, but I'm sure people have heard that concept that you have to wash again and you have to uh, say a new bracha. So, as you probably got the format of this shear already, once, one, there will be a time when it'll actually be true, just to confuse you. See, you know, see, no. But no, once again, this is a misconception. One does not have to wash again. One doesn't have to say a new bracha if you spoke between the Tilsi Daim and Amotzi. Why not? Can anybody take a guess? Why not? This is a, tough, this is a really tough question. Why do I not have to wash between the Tilsi Daim and Amotzi? And if you're really smart, when do you have to bless again if you spoke? Yeah. What's your name? Rachel. Rachel, yeah. Excellent. It would be a bracha vatala, correct? That's one aspect. But why is it a Rachel I mean, why, 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 why in the first place would I think that I have to 
uh, wash again or say a new bracha when I'm saying in between Nitzvah Sadam and Amotzi. So, again, the only really way to understand it is to go back to the sources and understand the, the rationale. So, it's, I, again, I'm not giving you the Gemaras and all the backgrounds. I'm just giving the Shulchan Aruch, this simple understanding. So, in Orechayim Kuf Samech Vav, that's 166, the Shulchan Aruch, Rav Yosef Kara, writing in, I think, the 16th century, says, Yesh Omrim, Te'en Tzarech Lizaher Milahav Sich Ben Netila Lahamotzi. One need not be careful uh, to be concerned about uh, speaking and doing a hefsek between Netila Tzadayim and Amotzi. Yesh Omrim, Te'en Lizaher. And some people say, you do. Some people say you don't, the Shulchan Aruch says, and some people say you do. You do. Of course, when, when... Yeah, you have a question? Excellent. So what the Shulchan Aruch often will do is he'll say, some do this, some is this, and then he'll tell you at the end of the day what you should do. So he says, hair. And it's good to be careful. Meaning to say, it's good to try to not have a half-stick between washing and eating bread, but if you didn't, it's no big deal. Good always means, like, it's a good thing to do, but it's not the end of the world if you, if you didn't, weren't able to do it. Oh, that's an excellent question that I, I hope we have time to get to this week, which is, um, what do you do when your parents tell you to do something which is not the halacha? Okay, so the, the basic answer is, you have to do the halacha, unless it's a minhag, or it's an extra stringency. So in this case, I would say like this. To wash again is not the end of the world. You didn't do anything. You could wash 20 times. To say a bracha would be a problem. So if you want to be really smart, you could say, But the truth is, if you're very kind and respectful, and you show them the short sheet, and you show them the shokhanak, that he says that you don't have to, most parents will be fine with it. The answer almost always is, go do the truth, and be nice to your parents. So we're going to get to that. That's also one of these topics of, do you always have to listen to your parents? Um, I hope even today maybe we get to that a little bit. We are. But uh, that's the basic answer. You, you do the right thing, you do the halacha, but you're nice to, and you explain to your parents very nicely. Um, Any who's. So, yeah. So the, the, the two different opinions in the Gemara, in the Rishonim, and the Achronim, and the Shokhanach quotes both. But in the end he says it's good, but you don't have to. The Mishnah Brura, what the Mishnah Brura does is he's, he explains the reasoning behind the Shulchan Aruch. He gives you the background that you would know if you're learning the whole Gemara and the whole everything, but most of us don't do that. So he, he fills in the details as to the why of Halacha very often. The Chafetz Chaim. And so the Chafetz Chaim, who wrote the Mishnah Brura, same guy, writes, The Gemara says you should immediately connect Natila Sedaim Tamotzi. Because, of course, washing your hands is a preparation to be eating the bread in a holy state of mind. But that doesn't mean that you can't, uh, that if you spoke, it's, it's, uh, it's the end of the world. Rather, So if you're going to speak a lot, you're going to completely forget about the fact that you wash your hands and then you're going to, come to impurify your hands again, so then you, you just wasted the whole washing of your hands because they're not pure anymore. They touched an impure place. And that's what the Gemara says is problematic. But if I just saw a friend and I'm still... Uh, I, it's not going to bring me to, you know, touch an impure place. It was just an accident. So obviously we do try not to speak between the two of diamond and Motsi, but it's not the end of the world. And so you don't wash again and you don't say another bracha. 
Yeah, we are, even saw there was an opinion that you don't have to worry about this. Bechlal, the Shulchan Aruch mentions that opinion. And Tzai Svaradim will sometimes be more care, uh, less careful about speaking between the Tios, the Daim, and the Motzi. But even for Ashkenazim, who try to be a, a bit more careful about it, if you end of the day, you spoke or you hugged someone or whatever, it's not the end of the world. It's not such a big deal. Make sense? Everybody could never be shy to ask questions. That is the Tios, and the truth is, at my Shabbos meals, Often we'll sing a niggin. We'll sing a song. No words. But we'll sing a song between the Tilak Daim and Hamotzi while we're waiting. And that's fine. Again, because you're, it's all connected to Hamotzi. It's, it's, it's in the same headspace. And I'm not speaking about a random different topic. Which, even if you did it, we said you wouldn't have to wash again. But that wouldn't be ideal. But if it's all connected to Hamotzi, it's all good. Okay? The main idea is that we should still be in the headspace of, I'm washing my hands and now I'm about to eat bread. Okay? So now, I have an original question. Why do people get, get confused? Almost every time there's a halacha and c- confusion, it's because there's another halacha which is very similar and people mesh them together. So in which situation would there be a problem between speaking and saying the bracha and doing the action and so much so that I would have to re-bless? Can anybody remember? Anybody remembers when, if I say a bracha about something and I speak, the whole thing is canceled and I have to re-bless? Yeah, that's an interesting question. If I so the truth is, I think it's almost every bracha you're not supposed to speak between doing the bracha and doing the mitzvah. If you spoke about something related to that mitzvah, then bidiyavid you would not have to rebless. But the the classical situation, which is quoted in the very next sim in the Shulchan Aruch, is eating food. Let's say I said amotzi lechem in aretz. Then I saw my friend and said, Hey, Atara, what's going on? So that's considered disrespectful. You're speaking to God, you're saying a bracha, and then you, instead of just doing the action, you start getting off on a tangent. So because you've chopped up the bracha, the bracha has been canceled, and you need to make a new bracha. Okay? For all mitzvahs, it just comes up the most often with food. Okay? But the exception to the situation the Mishra Buddha writes is if you did it something related to the food. Right? So, for example, at the Shabbos table... If you said a moti lechem in arts and then you said pass the salt, you shouldn't have done that because you're not supposed to speak between a moti and, and passing the salt. But if you did, it's not the end of the world because they're related matters and you don't have to make a new bracha. As opposed to between the tilas and hamoti when there's no problem whatsoever to say pass the salt. Okay? Because the Shulchan Aruch writes that as long as it's related to it, there's no problem. And we just try not to get carried away and have a whole long conversation. But between the Tehotian Daim and Amoti, we're a lot more lenient than once you've said the bracha. Yeah? Do you mean that you have to re-say the bracha, or do you mean that you're not yet said the bracha? You're not yet said the bracha, and therefore you have to re-say re- yeah. re- the bracha. Like, for a bread, I'm saying, let's say, or for, for the food. Like our teacher was doing um, Havdalah on Matei Shabbos, and then he said, you're not yet said if you speak during. So let's say someone spoke during, they need to make it again? Or is it just like, uh, assume, yeah, if uh, if I don't, we have to go through exactly that halachic situation, but if you weren't yotze, then you have to do it again. Yeah. So are they interchangeable? Yeah, not being yotze means you have to do it again because you didn't. Yeah, but it's great that you talk about that because I hope to actually talk about havdalah and women and their obligation. That's a little bit more complicated and all that fun stuff that's that's coming up in just a few minutes. So we already have two lead-ins to upcoming situations. Okay, it, it, sometimes I talk fast, but if, any, if anyone has any questions, please feel free. Don't be shy. Not allowed to be shy in this class. 
Anybody have any questions? We're happy. Makes sense. So until the dam and Amoti, actually you shouldn't talk, but if you talk, it's not the end of the world. Between Amoti and uh, the lechem, or really any food in the lechem, don't talk. Okay, and if you did, you have to do it again. I'm not sure when it comes to Lulub and Edrog, to be completely honest. I don't remember if you have to re-blast if you spoke. Probably the logic would say you would, as long as it wasn't related. Okay? And you can say past the salt between Tilsdam and Amoti. Sometimes I do it at my Shabbos table, just to demonstrate that halacha. And if it's related, it's certainly not a problem. Makes sense? Okay. Great. And all of that was Orechayim Kuf Samech Zayin, who says, Insach If you spoke between Amoti and eating, you have to go back and re-bless again. Okay? That's what the Shulchan Aruch says. And the Mishnah explained the, re- the reasoning as we, uh, as we explained. Oh, one situation I've got to mention is, let's say somebody else is saying the Hamotzi for everyone, right? And you're saying a man, you're being Yotzei, be him. So as long as he has eaten the Mishnah Bura writes, you're good. Okay? You've been Yotzei. You were Yotzei through him. He said, he said the bracha, he ate. Even if you spoke before you got the food, the bread, which you shouldn't have done, you were Yotzei. You don't have to say a new blessing. But you should ideally wait to, 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 to before you speak. You should you should you know, take the the challah in your in your mouth. But it once he's fulfilled his obligation, everyone's good to go. Make sense? Clear? Good. Okay. Amazing. All right. Here's another fun one that a lot of people might already know. Um, Kriya Shema and Hamapio and women. Okay. Who here? No, I'll embarrass you. I won't ask that question. But did you guys know that there's a blessing that one is supposed to make, according to the Gemara in Brachos and the Shulchan Aruch, before we go to bed, to thank God for the amazing thing called sleep and to protect our souls, right? Many people think that there's only Shema, right? And Amalek HaGol, if we had good mothers who sang that to us before we go to bed, and all the extra psukim. But many people do not know that there is another blessing called Hamapil, Okay? And uh, Hamapil is a very short, it's just a paragraph, but it's a beautiful bracha where we thank Hashem for the ability to, to sleep, and it is right before Kriyat Shema. How do you know I'm not making this up? So I quoted the Shulchan Aruch, Rish, Lamet, Tef, Taf, Kura Almita To Parsha Rishona Shoshma Mubarak, Hamapil Chevle Shena Alenai quoting the Gemara, thanking God uh, for the gift of sleep. So that's a real thing. People don't know it. People just think it's Shema. But really, Hamapil, halachically, is probably more important even than saying Shema. Okay? And certainly, a lot of people think that you have to say the whole thing that's in the Siddur by Hamapil and Shema. There's like all these extra Tehillim. It's mentioned in the Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah. It's very nice things to do and beautiful things to do. But they're not halachically obligatory. And so, uh, if it's too hard for you and it's overwhelming and there's too much extra stuff to say... You could just say um, Hamapil, and according to many, just the first paragraph of Shema. Okay, and if you want, you could say the whole all three paragraphs of Shema. And if you have the koach to say the extra tefillin and stuff, it's beautiful. Okay, now maybe the, the it could be that the reason that many many men don't know about Hamapil, but many women also don't know about Hamapil, because there was an opinion in the Gemara and mentioned in some of the poskim that women do not have to say Hamapil. Why might that be? Why might women not have to say this bracha before you go to bed? Yeah. Interesting. Oh, maybe because it's linked to Kriyat Shema. Women are linked to Kriyat Shema. That's one thing. And also because it's a time-bound type of thing. It's, it's at night, right? It's only done at night right before you go to bed. And therefore, perhaps, one would think that women are exempt. And there are a few posts we do write that. So you have what to rely upon. However, 
um, the Kafachaim, who is a Kabbalistic Sephardi posek, in addition to mainstream Ashkenazi poskim, write that actually women should say Hamapio. Um, and here's his reasoning. Even women, certainly women, should say Hamapio. Um, Oh, perhaps they don't have to do it because it's a time-bound mitzvah. It's not true. Men and women both need spiritual protection. And the hamapiel and the shema protect our souls somehow before we go to bed, make sure we don't have bad dreams and... I don't know what other, what, it, what other crazy spiritual stuff we need protection from, but apparently it does it, the Hamapil and the Kriyachma, and so women, women need it just as much as men, and, uh, which is actually the, re- the original reason why we said Shema before we go to bed, to protect our souls spiritually. And so that is what the Kafchayim says, and I think that's the mainstream halacha, that women should also say Hamapil. By the way, um, I once did in camp, we had a fun thing, it was color war, and I got kids to memorize Al Hamichia and Hamapil, because um, I gave them a lot of points if you memorize Hamapil or, or, or Al Hamichia. So, uh, next week, if anybody memorizes Hamapil who didn't already have it memorized, you are going to get a sticker on a sticker <laughs> chart. Okay? What the stickers do, it's a mystery. Who knows? But it's, it's worth it, trust me. Um, I'll be honest, I myself have a few words that I kind of forget, so I need to memorize it. So I'll hope, hopefully, we'll come and get, I'll be the first one with the sticker. Bezrat Hashem. But yeah, next week, if anybody memorizes it, come 728, I'll be here. You get yourself your sticker. Yes. Yes. If you want next week, or even before, before I leave, I will photocopy it. It's right in the art scroll. I will photocopy it and give to anyone here who wants your own Hamapio thing to memorize for next week. Yes? Right, so I'm saying Hamapio, Halacha, Kriya Shema, first paragraph, Halacha, everything else, nice. The second paragraph, the third paragraph, very nice. The other stuff, nice, good, big mitzvah. Holy Yidin should do it. What I mean by mitzvah is it's a good thing to do. It's not in the Torah, it's not in the rabbis. The, show, the, the Mishnah verse specifically says it's, it's a good thing to do, but it's, it, there are minhagim, customs, which, have, which emerged later in Jewish history. And so they're not obligatory. I'll be honest, I myself only say the first paragraph of Shema and Hamapil. Because I realize at a certain point that it's just like so much that I end up not having Kavana even for Shema. So I myself am lenient. I'm not saying that's what you should do. You should be better Jews than me. And maybe this year I should do tshuva and go back to saying at least all three shmas. Come on, what's wrong with you? But it's good to say everything. My wife says the whole the whole shema, and, and I think some extra stuff. But halachically, you only have to say a mapil in the first paragraph of shema. Okay. Yeah. Um, with, with like hamapil being a time bound mitzvah, why is that more significant than other time bound like? That's a great question. The truth is, each but they all protect right. Each topic is it has to be. It's when it comes to time bound stuff, there's more exceptions than the rule, right? There's, you you can already think of a lot of mitzvahs which are time bound that actually women do do. So, 
each topic needs to be examined on its own as to what's the rationale and why the rabbis did or didn't um, exempt or, or, or say that women should do it. Again, because the main rationale for Hamapil and Shema, the, whole, the only reason the Gemara says we do it is to protect our soul when we go to bed. Um, and women need this just as much as men. So even if technically one could say, well, they're exempt, they, but they still need the spiritual protection. Right? So maybe they don't have to do it for halachic, but their, their soul is needed, and therefore the rabbi said they should do it. Again, there, you can find a posik or two who will say that women are exempt, uh, but most mainstream Orthodox rabbis say that women should say hamapiyal to protect their soul, and it's a mitzvah, it's in the Gemara, in the Shulchan Aruch, so. But as to why exactly one, you know, it's really an interesting shir, and then you should also ask your other rabbis about, you know, but um, from my experience, it, it's just you need to examine every spe- specific issue and, and ask yourself why this one yes and why that one no and try to figure it out. Yeah, great question. Okay, I think we're going to go back to Hamapil later in the class. We're going to probably go a la Seder, and there's a lot of other misconceptions about Hamapil. Can you speak after it? Can you not speak after it? We'll get into it, but I, I don't want to do stuff off the cuff. I want to do it based on uh, where I can at least quote the Shulchan Okay, um, next topic. Um, oh, yeah, this is the win. W- women. We're going to do a lot of women topics because you guys are women, so I figure you care about things like that. Um, but I want to specifically talk about Havdalah. And the main question is, do women, will they get a beard if they drink the Havdalah? Okay, and I think that, I should have titled this here that actually. Um, have any, any of y'all heard that, that halacha, that, that deep, deep wisdom? Okay. You never heard of it? Okay, good. So you're, you're better off. Because it's not actually, not in, in any uh, halakhic or Jewish sources. So don't worry about it. Oh, uh, also, unfortunately, not found in any Jewish sources. Not in Kabbalah, not in, not in anything halakha. But it's based. It's based on something. It's not completely made up. And so I'm going to try to jump into it a little bit. Why? Where does this misconception come from that women can't drink from grape juice and, and they're going to grow beer from? Okay, so it all starts from the question of once again time-bound mitzvahs. So in general, women are exempt from time-bound mitzvahs, but when, you, when it comes to Hilchos Shabbos, women are obligated for all time-bound mitzvahs. Right? Shabbos itself is time-bound. And the Gemara specifically links the nose of Shabbos to the dues of Shabbos, the Shamars and the Zachars, and therefore women must do anything related to Shabbos, even if it's time-bound, like Kiddush, for example, it's time-bound. Nonetheless, women are obligated on the same level as men. Okay? So then the question arises, what about Havdalah? Is Havdalah part of Shabbos, and therefore women should be obligated just like men? Or is Havdalah after Shabbos, and then it goes by the different rules of the rules of during the week. You understand the question? So in this question, it wasn't mentioned in the Gemara, and therefore the Rishonim argue about it. Okay, so, for example, we have the opinion of the Chinuch, the Sefer Chinuch, who writes, Mitzvah Kiddush, Shabbos, Dvarim, Mitzvah Shabbos, Gam Ken Varchim Al Yain L'Chod Yom, Havdal Nehoged B'chol Makom B'chol Zman Mizcharim U V'Nekevos. Men and women are both obligated. And even though that it's time-bound, but the Gemara implies or says, he believes it says, women are obligated in both Havdalah and Kiddush. And um, they, basically it was linked with Shabbos, since it's related to Shabbos. It's a Shabbos-related mitzvah, Havdalah. 
So it also, women are obligated, just like men, according to the chinuch. Yes? Right, so we're getting there. Yeah, give, wait, wait three minutes, and we'll, we'll get to that, uh, to that discussion. But on a, a simple level, the chinuch says they should be just like men. However, comes Orchot Chaim. Orchot Chaim is a Tosafist. That's two generations after Rashi. And he writes out a book on Halacha, which is quoted by the Shulchan Aruch. And he writes, Katavarash, Nashim ein mabgilot latma. Women should not make Havdalah for themselves. Dein Havdalah tluya bishmir Shabbos. Because Havdalah is separate than Shabbos. There's Shabbos and there's Havdalah. They're two separate topics. And since it's time bound, a woman should not... Um, mob deal for herself because she might not be obligated. And since she might not be obligated, but maybe she is obligated, a man who is obligated should be Yotze her. You understand the logic? Since we're not sure if she's obligated because it's time bound, so a man should be Yotze her. So we have Machlokis here. We have many rabbis like the Chino who believe that women are obligated and we have some rabbis who say actually women are not obligated to say Havdalah uh, and therefore a man should be Yotze a woman. Yeah. Uh, he's a Tosafite, which means like if you look in the Gemara, you have Rashi on one side, and you have his grandchildren, the the Tosafists, who were a bunch of rabbis who wrote commentaries on the Gemara and also wrote halachic works. And his name is the Rush. Okay, but he's not the only one. He, I'm just giving you different schools of thought. Okay, and and the rationale behind it. So at the end of the day, how do we paskin? We look in the Shulchan Aruch. He's the final, usually the final word in halacha, and the Shulchan Aruch writes the following. In Reish Tzadichet, Chet, Ratzach, murder. He writes in two ninety-eight. Nashim are obligated, just like in Kiddush. But some argue. So his main opinion is the first opinion, but he notes that there are those who argue. And the Ramah, who is the main postic for Ashkenazim, says, Therefore. The Ramah writes, taking into account this Tosafite opinion, since we're not really sure, we it's safe for bet to have a man be Yotze, a woman, because he's definitely obligated, and that is where the custom has emerged that a woman will always try to hear Havdullah from a man. Okay? Clear so far? The Shulchan Aruch Paskin primarily that we allow a woman to do it, but the Ramah writes, and he knows the other opinion, but the Ramah writes, we should try to have a, a man cover a woman. Yes, uh, we're going to continue. We're not finished with this again, but yeah, question. Um, so, what if you like, uh, women act like you Yeah, I'm getting to that question in just one, one minute. Perfect question, yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. So do I have to, what am I going to wait all night and not eat? Because you're not supposed to eat until you do Abdullah. So what am I supposed to do? How much do I have to go out of my way to get a guy to do Abdullah for you? Exactly, so I want to get to that in one second, yeah. It would seem. I don't know. I'm not an expert in uh, Sephardi halacha, to be honest, but from the simple reading, the Shulchan Aruch seems to be much more like chill about it. And Lerma is more... The, I don't know. The way you would know is you would look through the modern Sephardi post like Rabbi Yosef, and you would see what he says about it. In any case, um, the Aruch HaShulchan, who's an Ashkenazi rabbi, contemporary to the Mishnah Brewer in the 19th century, and he has a beautiful safe, and he writes following, Tov lehen shishmumi pianashim. It's good for women to hear from men. But obviously, if there's no man around, they should do it themselves. Because ultimately, the Paskin that women are obligated just like men. So if there's no man, guy around, just do it yourself. No big deal. No, 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 no big drama. Similarly, the Shmir Shabbos Kalchata, which is Rav Arbach, who is a um, 
a uh, contemporary rabbi, not necessarily a lenient rabbi all the time. And he also writes, Isha Mavdila a woman can be Yotzer, her friend. Shamati uh, Arbach. So talks about a lot. So even the uh, great sage Roshulma Zaman Arbach says a woman could be Mavdil for her friend if there's no guy around. So the answer is it's not such a big deal. There's no guys around. You can just do it for yourself. You, not you, you could, you should. You, since you're obligated to do Abdullah, you should do Abdullah for yourself. And, uh, and that is, that is the, the, the true halacha. You don't have to go crazy. If it's easy to go to a guy, great. If it's, not, if it's hard, make Abdullah on your own and that's fine. Yeah? Well, your father might anyway, out of Kibbutav, like if you wait for him. Um, so in a normal situation, if you can wait, you can wait, no big deal. But if it's annoying and you're hungry, because again, you're not really supposed to eat until after you hear Abdullah, and I think it's totally fine to do Abdullah. Sometimes I tell my wife if I'm taking a long time at the Kotel from our, just make it on your own. And she doesn't listen to me, but I tell her. Um, anyways, I, I think it's, it's, it's really not such a big deal. Now, where, where is this whole thing about not drinking grape juice? It comes primarily from the Kabbalah. Oh, I'm sorry, you had a question. Why is it that they It's a good question. The Pashtas Chazal wanted us to take Kiddush and Havdalah seriously, and uh, therefore they decreed that one should not eat or drink before Kiddush and eat or drink before doing Havdalah. It actually, you could link it to this week's Parsha, where before we eat our first fruits, we have to say, Arami, thank you, Hashem, you know, and get to a whole declaration, just like before we daven, before, before we eat in the morning, we daven. There's a, a general concept in many things in Halacha, that before we go into the, phys- the world of physicality, we first, uh, you know, thank God and, and whatnot. That is another unfortunate Halachic misconception, which is the answer is no. You're really not supposed to sound. Once Shabbos has ended. Uh, if, if you're still in Shabbos, you're in Shalashudas, then you can eat till Tuesday. Once you've ended Shalashudas, and, and the time for Shabbos has ended, so then you're not supposed to eat. The post can write, in an emergency situation, one can drink water. It's really, really hard for you. But what I would suggest, much more simply, is do Havdalah. Don't, certainly much more important to just make Havdalah for yourself than to wait for an hour for some guy to come. That, that is why it's good to learn what's a halacha misconception and what's really halacha so you don't misprioritize. It's definitely more important just to Havdalah on your own. It's not such a big deal. Get a little grape juice. You don't even need the candle, according to halacha. Um, and I mean, it's good to do it, but if you don't have it, you're yotze. And then you can eat and drink till your heart's content. Similarly with Kiddush. Uh, often people come to my, my Shabbos meal. I make a big Shabbos meal in the Old City. And a lot of times people are coming and they're waiting for it. It takes a long time. And they're thirsty. And I, start, I see people starting to drink and eat. And I say, please, just do Kiddush. There's tons of grape juice. Just do Kiddush. It takes a minute. Don't wait for me. I'm not insulted. You know, it's just, you don't have to wait. Just do Kiddush, and then you can eat and drink till your, till, till your heart's content. Yeah? Okay, yeah. Which is better, if my dad said, or her or something, and then come home and say it again for everyone else, or like, we'll say Havdalah? Like, it's not such a big deal for, for dad to come home and say it again for everyone, because it's like Kiddush, it's, it, the, the rabbis decreed that you can say it as many times as you want, so it's for a mitzvah. In that situation, I would say no problem to just wait for your dad to do it. You don't lose anything, but... Yeah. Um, it's like saying that we can't eat for Adela was to make, to, to make us take it more seriously. 
and what was the original point of the law? Because it's not like what Angelotti said, Baruch Hamavdiyam, like, that's what, like, ends, and... You're saying, saying Baruch Hamavdiyam and Kodesh Lachol already ends Shabbos, so you can't do it. Like, I thought no, so it's actually, it's a discussion in the Gemara and Brachas. It talks all about the history of Havdalah. And maybe another year we can dedicate a whole class to just learning about the history of Havdalah. Please, God. But basically, there are two separate decrees. One was about Shabbos is over and be able to end, you've ended Shabbos and therefore you can do Malacha. And then the not eating thing is to be machshiv, to take Havdalah on a, on a kos seriously. So we take that halacha seriously, and therefore they said no eating until you do until you you sanctify the week, so to speak, with halacha. Okay, and doing this on one foot. Hopefully, we'll have time to do it more than that. Anyway, I want to get back to why it is that many people think that you shouldn't drink grape juice because there's kabbalistic opinions, namely the shlach. The shlach kodesh is the Rabbi Zeya Harowitz Shnei Luchas Abris actually has a shul in the old city uh, that where he taught. And he mentions, based on Kabbalistic sources, that it is a problem for women to drink grape juice. Okay, so let me quote this inside. Shlo writes, We all know that the, the, the first fruit that Adam ate was Geth and Haita. It was grapes. Okay, and there are four different opinions. The Torah doesn't tell us what the fruit was, but the Rizal, the, the Kabbalistic perspective, it was grapes. And there's a midrash that says that the woman squeezed the grapes and gave it to the man. Okay? So there's a midrash like that. She wanted to separate from man through wine. That's why there's a custom why women don't taste from the grape juice. This Kabbalistic idea that since she originally poisoned Adam's thing with grape juice, so she doesn't taste the, the, the grape juice. Something like that. Again, this is a Kabbalistic source. We don't always necessarily go like everything in the Kabbalah. We often try to be extra stringent and get beautiful Kabbalistic ideas. I personally love Kabbalah and Chassidus, but it doesn't trump Halacha. It doesn't, when there's Halacha versus Kabbalah, Halacha wins. Okay? So that's, prob- that's almost for sure why many women don't drink from the cup. To be choshesh, to be concerned about this Kabbalistic idea. Okay? If you drank from the cup, it's fine. You have all these halachic opinions that are saying that it's fine to make kiddit havdalah, and the only way to do havdalah is to drink grape juice. But that's another reason why it's good, if you can, to be yotze through a man for this Kabbalistic perspective, okay? Now, I still haven't answered my main question, is where does a beard come in? Who said anything about a beard? So it's not mentioned anywhere in our sources. However, there's a theory that I found on the internet, it was interesting, uh, that... Uh, the Safer, which writes that the reason women are prohibited from drinking Abdullah is because they do not have beards. A Safer wrote, women don't have beards, they're not men, and that's why they can't do Abdullah. So someone misunderstood that, apparently, to mean that if they do drink, they're going to get beards. That's not what the Safer said, but that's, that's a theory as to how there's confusion. There's another theory, there's the Gemara that says that in Rabibi's house, they used to drink beer, and so they needed to smear themselves with lime to make themselves look better. In the olden days, they used to usually do Havdalah over beer. So if you drank beer, they thought you would somehow get a beard. I don't know. It's, it, it was a confusion. The thing you have to remember is it's not true. You can drink grape juice, nothing to do with beards, and it was just a, a misconception, just a bit of confusion. Okay? Um, what time do I have to go? 8.20. 8.20, okay. 
So we have time for our one more one more misconception, and we'll call it a day. Okay, so this is a, a, a famous one. A lot of people know this. Um, I'm trying to think. I'll save that for next week. We'll do, we'll do a very short one. Se- 72 minutes. Who here has heard of the concept that you, after you wash, you have 72 minutes until at the bench? Okay? Many people, myself included, have heard that concept. It's not coming out of left field. It is based on something, but it's not what the Shulchan Aruch writes. Shulchan Aruch writes in Kuf Pedal, how long do you have until you condense? Until it digests. And how do you know when it's digested? We don't have a digestion machine. As long as you're not hungry. If you're eating, okay, and you're still not hungry, even if a hundred minutes have passed, but you're still stuffed, so you could still bench. Not, you still have to bench. Okay. So that is a halacha misconception. Where does it come from 72 minutes? The Mishnah Bura writes that in general, if we're not sure and you, ha- you, can't, you're not, you can't figure out your body, so we assume it's 4 mil, which is 72 minutes. So it's not out of left field. But again, if you're, I don't know, you, Shabbos and 90 minutes have passed, even 2 hours have passed and you still feel stuffed, you have to bench. Okay, Because that's what the Shulchan Ach writes. What I would suggest is just bench right away before you go on the couch or do anything, just immediately uh, bench. Um, before you guys go, so just final reminders, A, sticker charts on Hamapil. Okay, I'll photocopy for anyone who wants, or you can find in the article sitter. And B, um, hmm, what's the smartest way to do this? If you have a specific topic that you would like me to cover, because I don't have it all prepared yet, I prepare it the week before usually, so please um, text or send me a WhatsApp and I will try my best to cover those topics. My number uh, to, to send me a WhatsApp. There's a marker under the bag. Where is it? There's a marker under the bag, under your black bag. Oh, excellent. So you can send me a WhatsApp topic. 053-2792-613. Like the mitzvahs. I didn't choose that. Hashem gave me that, I promise. So if you have a specific topic, slash, if anyone here really liked or hated the shear and wants a source sheet to prove their friends or whatever, please let me know in that WhatsApp. I will email to you all my source sheets on Safaria, or I will print you. Uh, I will print you a source sheet so you'll see I'm not making it up. And I hope to see you guys next week or next class. And I hope you have a beautiful night. Thank you guys for being amazing listeners. I don't know. I have to check. I have no idea. Um, thank you. And... Sorry? It's a good question. The Gemara talks about that. Thank you. Nisim I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, we paskin that as long as you add a kazayas worth of food, even if you're not satisfied, you would still do it. Not midar reita, but midar aban. And the Gemara praises the Jewish people and says, wow, we, we go out of our way to thank Hashem even when we're not obligated to do it biblically. And that's why Hashem shows us favor and, and loves us. Actually. So, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Your oh, thank you very much. Hey, did you say you teach in, uh, I do. A little bit. I went there as a, as a lad and I, I've been learning there as, as with my chavrutas and I teach there a little bit. Oh, gosh. Yeah, what's his name? Uh, definitely don't sleep in, um, Benji. 
Belgium. Ah, okay. So I'll look out for the Belgium. Yeah. Sweet. Thank you. Bye, thank you. Bismillah, hope you I get this crazy idea to start off a spirituality class about connecting to Kaddish Baruch Hu in a very practical way with food. Meaning, I would guess I should start off with davening, learning, saying Tehillim. Why would I start off a class about Ruchnius with how we eat dinner? Like, what's, 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 where am I getting this idea from? Any ideas? You could also say your name. Get to know each other a little bit. Yes? Um, my name is Mia, and I'm the guest for That is always the, the best trick. You guys have been in school for a while. That's right. It wasn't my idea. She's right. I didn't have, come up with the idea. Hashem had this great idea of starting off the Torah. The first mitzvah, the first commandment that God gives mankind is... Anybody guess? Like a good Jewish mother, what's the first mitzvah? To eat. To eat. I will prove it. Barishas bet tus zayin. And God commands men and says, Mikol itagan achol tochel. You must eat. You must surely eat anything in the garden you must enjoy. God loves us and he expresses that love. One of the ways he expresses it is through eating. And so the first mitzvah in the Torah is to eat. Okay, you can, that's it. That you, that you can leave Shir right now and you got something amazing. The second mitzvah in the Torah, of course, is And don't eat. Okay, that's the second mitzvah. But we tend to forget that the first way that Akash Baruch Hu expresses himself to mankind is that eat everything. One little thing, don't eat. Okay, one explanation which makes sense to me is the whole idea of the don'ts is to help us appreciate the do's. So if everything is alright, you won't think about it, you won't appreciate it. It's like you have a fridge and you just take the pizza from the fridge every night and never thank your dad, then uh, it's not so, you won't get that much out of the, the pizza. But if your dad says, take everything but that piece of pizza, so then you'll appreciate the whole rest of the fridge. So God ushers one thing, some things are all out limits, so that we can appreciate uh, the blessings of food. Okay? So, it's not my idea. Hashem says, it's start with food. And that makes a lot of sense because food is something we interact with all the time. Food and drink, of course. And, and it's, uh, we want to know, as holy Jews, how to make this not just uh, an animalistic experience, but a way to really connect to a Kaddish Baruch Hu and to the food through this experience. Okay? So, I, it is actually not my idea. But the Rav Tzadak HaKohen Milublin um, has a Hasidic Sefer, and I also found it in Rabbi Nachman's work, Likute Eitzos, both Hasidic masters. And Rav Tzadik says the following in the second source. Mikol makam, the first piece of advice I can give to a person if you want to fix yourself, and that's what we're here in this year to do, to, to grow, to become holier people. And everything is connected spiritually. This idea of eating consciously and aware and appreciatively. Okay. 
And then he goes on and he actually says things that we, which we don't paskin halachically. For example, he says, don't, he, don't eat meat. He's not into eating meat because we're not on the high spiritual level. I brought this, I purposely included this in, as part of the source sheet to tell, let you know that like, we're talking Hasidic ideas. We're talking spiritual ideas here that are emish, that are true and beautiful, but they're very like for tzaddikim. So if you're not 100% there, like I'm not 100% there in the day to day, don't worry. Just the same way that you know, a Jew is allowed to eat meat. Right? Although I am a vegetarian, but that's a sheer for a different day. But Jews, a lot of Jews also, if you overate and had a second coffee when you didn't really need it, it's fine. It's not a big deal. You're a good Jew. But we're talking high spiritual levels here. But and nonetheless, if Sadiq says that, truthfully, on a spiritual level, if a person's eating right, then everything spiritually is in a good place. And if he's not eating and drinking, then it could be, uh, it could be you're in dangerous territory. Okay? So, in fact, Sir Yehudit Schneider, an amazing book, and actually transformed my dad's life. It's a very small little book, and it's called Eating as Tikkun. And this one's an English source. So she says the following. Rav Tzadik Akon teaches that the tree of life represents holy eating, while the tree of knowledge of good and evil represents eating suffused with physical pleasure. The tree of knowledge was not a tree or a food or a thing at all. Rather, it was a way of eating. You can underline that. Whatever a person grabs self-conscious pleasures from the world, he falls at that moment from God consciousness. Whenever we eat without proper kavanah, intention, we repeat the original sin. So she's actually quoting an amazing idea from Rav Tzadik. It's not shot in the text, but Rav Tzadik is saying that when Adam and Eve ate from the Garden of Eden, it wasn't a specific fruit that was a sin. It was the way that they ate. It was eating as a as a jumping into pleasures and running away from God, as a, opposed to the way that eating and drinking is meant to be, which is, a, as we'll talk about, a way to connect to a Kaddish Baruch and appreciate a Kaddish Baruch Sounds good? Interesting, right? Isn't that like a, a, a cool idea? Maybe you guys have heard that idea before. For me, when I heard that, I was like, whoa, that's a crazy idea. It's about how you eat. It's not about what you eat. Also about what you eat, but it's also about how you eat. Okay. And um, now we're going to jump to a really important topic, and that is, what is the purpose of our lives? Okay, what is the purpose of our lives? So we can have a good philosophical discussion about it, maybe on Shabbos, you guys can have it amongst yourselves, but I'm going to skip right to Ramosha Chaim Utsato, the Mesil Sisharim, who has the most popular Jewish philosophy book out there, Mesil Sisharim, and he's going to tell us the purpose of our lives. So in source, Dalit, Yesod Yesodos, the foundation of the foundations, the first question we have to be asking ourselves every single day, all the time, is what is my purpose in life? Why am I here? And he's going to tell you it's, it's quite surprising. Okay, pause for a second. Why are we here in the world? Well, what will you guys say? What's a good Jewish rabbi going to tell you? What are we here to do? Serve Hashem, beautiful. What else? Make a deal with a friend and have some Chabad. Yefet. What else? Work on ourselves. Work on ourselves. Okay. Good. What does the Sharon say? Lihit aneg al Hashem. Oneg. What does oneg mean? To enjoy on God. It's a strange phrase. But we are here in the world to enjoy. Okay? Now, you should run away now before I tell you the rest of the sentence, is that Mr. Shem said the main place that we get that enjoyment is the next world, and the way to get that enjoyment is through doing Torah and mitzvahs and serving Hashem. But nonetheless, many Sfarim do write that there's a concept 
that is that ultimately, if God's main purpose is to give us pleasure and to gain pleasure from Gadosh Baruch Hu, and that has to be expressed in this world too. It can't only be in the next world. There always needs to be a connection between this world and the next world. Okay, so in this world too, one of our primary purposes is lihit aneg al Hashem to enjoy, to enjoy life, but in the context of Hashem, al Hashem, to be enjoying life with Hashem. Okay, not to be running away from Hashem, not to be enjoying, not with Hashem in mind, but also to enjoy, not to be like, oh, I hate Torah mitzvahs, but, you know, I have to do it. Of course, sometimes it's hard. It is really, really hard, but, you know, ultimately, we have to, our goal in life is to try to find a way to make it fun and enjoyable to do Torah and mitzvahs. That's actually why I became a rabbi, because I love Torah and mitzvahs, I've always loved it. And I feel selfish to keep that to myself. I want other people to love Torah and Mitzvah as much as I do. And maybe you guys also feel that same love and you can also share that in whatever way you can. So that's the goal. To, in, to, to, to delight from Hagat. And that brings me to my next question, which is how? How do we delight upon Hashem? How do we feel connected to Hashem and enjoy HaKadosh Baruch Hu's beautiful world? Right? So again, I'll throw it out there. What do, what's the first thing that comes to mind? When are there times in life, practically speaking, when we feel we're enjoying life in the context of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, with Hashem, so to speak? Any idea? Yeah? At Simcha, it's an excellent example, right? I always think to myself, there's no, I don't know if there's any nation that was had a party so hard with Hashem. Also enjoy, but also be like doing it as a mitzvah. Right? Absolutely. What else comes to mind, maybe? Well, hopefully at some point over the year you'll, you'll, you'll really tap into singing and, and dancing and even davening. And really enjoying life through, through davening and, and through learning too. But, interesting, and we're going to talk about that in the coming classes. That's the goal. But, um, we are actually going to talk about something else. And that is enjoying Hashem through food. Through, 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 through food and drink. Okay? So how, how are we going to do that? Um... You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna skip. I'm gonna skip to my one of my favorite sources, the source Zion. Okay? From Shimson Pincus. But you don't have, so don't don't worry about it yet. I only have ten source sheets, sorry, but I will be reading. I translated it to English, I think. And this is from this book of uh, Pincus has a book, which I based a lot of the sheer off of, he gave, he gave me the idea. And this is the main passage, which inspired me. I'm going to read it for you guys. It really blew me away. So open up your hearts. Um, once again, I gave away my source sheet. I need, I need one back. Sorry. The good of men. All right. So I'm in the Tiferes Shimshon, uh, which is source Zion, and I'm going to read out loud. Yishno matzav echad. There's one situation bo haadam margish where a person feels bitsura tivit in a natural way. Mamash, mamish, shehu davak davuk l'Hashem that I am attached to God. Shehu mikabel et chayav me'akadosh baruch What does it mean to be in a state of God consciousness of devekus, as we say in Hasidic language? To feel like life is a gift. That God is giving me my life. 
And when can I most easily feel like my life is a gift? You probably guessed it. When you're eating, when you're drinking, that is the easiest time for a Yid to feel connected to a Kaddish Baruch. Okay? Adam Margish Chalash. A person feels sick. Right? You just were running and you're so thirsty and oh, you have that drink of water and you feel alive. Suddenly, I'm alive. God gave me life. Me, me. From who? Through the bread. If you're gluten-free, through, I don't know, the apple. The zoo I met. And that's the truth. Eating can be a moment of connecting to Kodesh Baruch Hu, that there's nothing that compares to that. What is ta'anug? And that's what brought me to that in the What's real pleasure? When I'm feeling like God is giving me a gift. Okay? So we can feel that when we daven. We can feel that when we learn. But the easiest time for most people to feel like Hashem is literally giving me life is, of course, when we are eating, we are drinking. If we step back and we actually say, whoa, Hashem is giving me life. Hashem is giving this to me. But if I just stom eat, then that's it. That's all it was. I'm like, just like an animal. I just put food in my body. I don't appreciate the whole goal of the... Of, it's like, again, imagine a parent gives a kid a gift. He gives them a birthday present and he just takes it and like goes and plays with it without thanking his parents, without recognizing that it's a gift of love. That's not about the gift. It's about the, the love that's being expressed through the gift. So... Pinkus is explaining, and I think it makes a lot of sense, that food is Hashem's way of expressing His love, and we have got to do our best to tap into that love simply by being conscious, simply by having kavana when we are eating. What do I mean by that? I'll tell you a cute little story. When, when someone taught me what it means to really be eating appreciatively. So uh, one, I like to pick people up from the hotel on Friday nights and try to bring them to my house for Shabbos, do Shabbos meals. Uh, my wife lets. Um, and not all, every Shabbos, but sometimes. So one particular Shabbos, I was, uh, I, I, I had prepared a lot of food. I was supposed to get guests from Jeff Seidel. They canceled, and I was sad. So I, I, it was actually, I went down to the hotel, and I, there was no one around. I was on the way back to my house, and I felt so sad that I went back to the Kotel the second time. And I was asking Hashem, send me some guests. And he literally sent me this guest. Three very interesting guests. This was this last year? This was not last year, unfortunately. It was, it was, but I, I did this, I had many stories. But, it's like government. Kind of. But, yeah, in some ways. I actually have a crazy Avram story, but if we have time at the end. Or another, another class. So, anyways, I pick up this guy. He's got a big beard, so he looks really firm. And he's got his daughter and son, I think, who have tattoos, and they, I don't know, they came with him. And he looked like a rabbi, so I was like, you want to make Kiddush? And he, he didn't, he, he slurred through the whole thing. He couldn't, like, say the whole Kiddush. So it was very, something interesting was going on there. Anyways, every time he ate something, this guy, this simple guy that couldn't even get through Kiddush, every time he ate a piece of whatever, a piece of uh, salad, Every single bite, he literally stopped and said, in honor of the Holy Sabbath. So that guy taught me what it means to eat appreciatively. I mean, literally just stopping as often as possible. Everyone's going to think you're nuts. It's just thinking, ideally verbalizing. But if you can't verbalize, thinking, thank you. Thank you. On Shabbos, you say, in honor of Shabbos. Thank you, Hashem. Thank you, Hashem. Thank you, Hashem. And I've actually done this before. Uh, it's actually a fun date. Not for the first date. But what you can do is, 
you just each side gets a salad, and then you say something they appreciate about your day or about each other, and each piece of salad you just have appreciation, appreciation salad, right? Um, I do it sometimes with my wife on Chavez lunch. Um, so the point is that that you're you're stopping and just being conscientious, just being appreciative. I'm saying thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's very hard when you're in the cafeteria and there's girls and you're making conversation. And it's hard for me too, but that's the goal. That's 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 where, that's where we're heading. That's what Repinkus is trying to tell us that you can get life from Kadosh Baruch Hu if we just think thank you. Sounds good. Okay. Vicer. Um, skipping that source sheet for now. I want to go back to this first source sheet and 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 ask ask the question. How do we do this? So I've already given you one answer, which is to think thank you. There is another element, obviously, to the equation, and that is in source hay, brought by the Shlach, the Shlach Kodesh. I mentioned him last year, too. Holy Kabbalist, Isaiah Harwist, who had a shul in the old city. And the Shlach writes something that many, many rabbis write. Kata Beresh Chachma. Again, I'm in the fifth source. He quotes another Kabbalistic source. Ha'ochel medvarim amutarim if you're eating from kosher foods, and you're eating for Hashem, holiness comes upon you, and your soul gets pleasure from this. As it says, a righteous person eats to satisfy his soul. Okay? So, the Shloss says, in order to draw this Holy Spirit upon yourself, you need to be eating L'Shem Shemayim. Okay? So how, what, what would that mean practically? What does it mean to eat L'Shem Shemayim? What's, what's eating L'Shem Shemayim on the simplest level? Yeah? Like not overeating enough so that you can have energy Eating to do mitzvahs. Right, exactly. If I'm, if I'm doing this, it's going to help me do a mitzvah. Whatever the mitzvah is, then L'Shem Shemayim. And if I'm doing it and it's going to have the opposite effect... Then it's not the shame shemayim, right? If I know if I have that extra cholent, I'm just going to be sleeping all Shabbos, whatever. So I can't say that that's the shame shemayim, right? But if I'm eating because I'm hungry and it's going to help me do mitzvahs, so then that becomes holy eating, right? The shlach kodesh and many other holy rabbis. Okay, good. So that's that's important, obviously, the food as the kosher and and hula if you want to do this job of uh, of eating in a holy type of way. I want to bring you, an, I think, a, a really, really interesting source. It was a chiddush for me. It's a second source sheet again, the second page, for those who are following inside. It's from another Hasidic Rebbe, the Chernobyl Rebbe. He's the third generation from Baal Shem Tov, um, And he has a beautiful idea about how to eat with, uh, with holiness. It's on Parshas Matot. It's, uh, again, at the top of the page in the second source sheet. I'm in the second line. Masha Amruazal. Chazal tell us, Amasha Katav Gabi Nazir. A Nazir is someone who refrains from drinking wine. Seems like a very holy act. But the Torah says that he needs to bring a korban and gain atonement. Because he has sinned. At a certain level, it was holy. He refrained from the physical pleasures. But on a certain level, it was a sin. What sin did he, this person do? So you girls can guess. What, what was the sin of the Nazar? The Nazarite? He's not enjoying the world, right? You're supposed to enjoy the, my Alps, right? 
in, in, in a proper way. He made himself pain, in pain because he didn't gain pleasure from this wine. We have to understand this matter. The whole world and its breath. So we're getting to some spiritual dynamics right now, spiritual chemistry. God created the world with his mouth. Okay? The whole world is still reverberating, so to speak, with the word of a Baruch Hu. With the spirit of his mouth to all the legions of the world. Through God's speech, all of reality comes into existence. Big and small. And to this day, we exist only because God is speaking us into existence. It's not that He created the world back then, but the Kabbalists teach us right now God is recreating the world and His word is reverberating through everything in the world. Right? The table, Shulchan is reverberating, is making this exist. You have a Kalman, it's Hashem's Kuflam and Memnun is making me exist right now. Okay. You know, it's a little Hasidic Kabbalistic, but it's, it's pretty cool. As it says in the Pasuk, And you bring life to everyone. And if God would take away his reality, we would stop existing. So now what he's doing is alluding to a, another big Kabbalistic concept that according to the Kabbalah, when God created the world, the light was too great and sparks of godliness spread throughout the world. Okay, This is a mushal, not to be taken literally, but this is a very important uh, concept that there are sparks of godliness everywhere. Okay? And sparks of Kaddish Baruch are in everything, but in particular in food. There's, we are in, literally in the middle, we are in the, in the big source, uh, the big Hebrew source, the ninth line, Mishta. The first, the Chernobyl Rebbe, right? The third generation from the Baal Shem Tov. Okay, There's nothing in the world that doesn't have sparks of godliness. As we said before. And here's the big Kiddush. I found this actually today. My friend showed me this in Rav Tzadok also. The sweetness or the saltiness, the taste in food that is the sparks of a Kaddish Baruch Pretty crazy. Ta'amu uru kitov Hashem, as the Pasuk says, taste and see that God is good. So when you taste the food and you feel like it's good, and probably I would assume it's not just food, but it's any pleasures in life, when you attribute that taste to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, I mean the bolded part, so the good taste of the thing is that the sparks of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And Kishemamin, oh, this is a hard thing. Kishemamin me'amuna shalema gemura. When you really a good chassan, you fully believe that when I say this bracha, when I eat with thankfulness, I'm. This is the sparks of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Says that mazon ruchani, that it is it is spiritual food. Like the pasuk says, not by bread alone does man live. Lo alechem vadoi chiyadam ki mote Hashem. 
what, that what comes out from Kadosh Baruch Hu, and I'm quoting my own thing, but that's the pasuk that he's basing himself on. That's pasuk in the Varim Chet Yud in Parshat Vayet Chanan. Shehu elukato yitbarach. It's Hashem. Hamulubash Sham. Noten daito belibo apnimis. And you think about the inner sparks. Umidabek etatzmo al kochiyoto mocho. The, the source, go, the, the spark goes back to its root. It goes back to Akadosh Baruch Hu. It frees it, so to speak, and goes back to Hashem. It was, it was broken, it was trapped. You free up the holy sparks. And Hashem enjoys very much this. Our job in this world is to free up the holy sparks, uh, which are trapped, to free up the holy sparks that are broken, and by doing that, we're going to bring the Tikkun and bring the Mashiach. Okay, I just gave you a really Kabbalistic concept. What I wanted us to take from it is that when you enjoy food and you think, wow, this tastes really good, and you think, thank you, Hashem, that is not, it, that is a big, big mitzvah. That is a holy thing. While the Shla and many other rabbis just think, the main thing is you should eat for a mitzvah. You know, just that it shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't bring you away from Kaddish Baruch and that's it. The, 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 the Chernobyl is going one step further and saying, by dafka thinking, wow, this is delicious. I'll take, take uh, an example today. You're not that hungry and someone offers you a piece of watermelon. It happened to me today. Now, watermelon is pretty light. It, it won't impact your Avodah Hashem negatively, but it's not, you know, I don't need it to survive. I would find before someone offered me a watermelon, right? So maybe according to the Shalai, I don't know if, I should, if I'm doing a mitzvah by eating that watermelon. But according to the Chernobler, as long as I say a beautiful bracha and as I'm eating that watermelon, I'm thinking, thank you, thank you, thank you, I just did a beautiful mitzvah. Sounds good? Clear? Okay. Amazing. All right. Um... I have to make sure we finish the sheer part of by uh, by five minutes before the end of class, so we can actually do it. When did we end? Nine ten. Sorry. Oh, perfect. So I'm not in rush. Okay, great. So we have one more element that I want to um, share with you. <laughs> organized. Okay, this one I'll keep for myself, and I have nine more source sheets for anyone who wants. After class, I'm happy to photocopy for anyone who wants. Um, and that is a question of how we eat. Okay? So, um, if you look at the source sheet, by the way, he quotes what I mentioned before, the, that this is based on the Ariza, the Kabbalistic sources, and uh, the Pasuk of Pi Motsi Pi Hashem. That all of the these drushas about the sparks of a Kaddish Baruch Hu are based on the Pasuk in uh, Dvarim, which says that not by bread alone does a person live, but by the spirit of Hashem, which which flows, which which pervades uh, each item. And we free those holy sparks by uh, eating with holiness. Okay? Any questions? Atkan? We're good? Everyone, Everything understood? Wow, you guys are amazing Hasidic Kabbalists. Okay, so one more element before we get to the putting this into practice. Um, and that is not just thinking what we're eating, but the pace at which we eat. So, the Pasik, by the way, this shear is almost completely just for me. It's to give me extra chizak to eat with 
kavana and slowly because I totally eat way too fast with no kavana all the time. So don't feel bad if you're like me. It's, this is a high, high spiritual level that we're all yearning to get to every single day and if we mess up, that's okay. We'll do, we'll do better tomorrow. But um, the Pasuk in Bereshis, I'm in the ninth source, source tet, Chavhei Lamed, describes the scene. Vayomer Esav Yaakov, and Esav comes up to his brother Yaakov. Halitaini namin adoma adonazeh. Pour me that red, red stuff. Ki ayef anochi. For I am thirsty, I am tired. That's why his name is Edom. So, if you know the story, he asks Yaakov, please, give me that soup. And Yaakov says, fine. And he makes the trade, and he ends up getting the firstborn rights um, because of this trade. But, says, I didn't bring it, but teaches Rav Shlomo Kralbach, who's one of my inspirations, that it's not just that it happened to be over food that they traded the firstborn ship. But this is the essence of a Yehudi. A Yehudi eats slowly. And Esav, the Esav part of our neshama, says, Halitaini na amina adoma adona. Give me that red, red stuff. Right? Fast, fast, like an animal. Just, just pour it all down. And that's by Esav. Whereas the Yaakov, it's all about being in the moment and being slow and appreciating what we eat and what we drink. And this is found in the teachings of Rabbi Nachman Mibreslov. Also, the third generation from the Baal Shem Tov, in Chaye Maharan, in the tenth source, Rabbi Nachman teaches. He's a year Don't be like Esav and eat too fast. Hainavim here is Kederk Gargaran, like a gargaran, like a you know a swallower. Kizel b'chinas alitenina rak largilatzma lechol b'mitinut to eat slowly. We should train ourselves to eat slowly. It's not simple, it's not easy, but that's, uh, that's, that's, that's what Rabbi Nachman says. And I, I, although it is very healthy, he's not saying just because for health. And he says, you know what's a great advice of how you can get there? Imagine you're standing with the Rosh Yeshiva, right? So, unless he's like your dad, you'll eat a little bit more slowly, you won't like pile, you know? You'll be a bit more appreciative. So, you know, we have that concept, Dal if miata umed, before you daven. Know before whom you stand. So here, the concept is, Dal if miata uchel. Know before whom you eat. You're eating in the, in the presence of a Kaddish Baruch. Right? In, 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 in uh, Levi Yitzchak Sefer, he writes that you should imagine when you're eating, you're eating before a Kaddish Baruch. And you should imagine like Hashem himself is feeding you the food. It's a little intense, a little, but that's, that, if, you, if you really felt like you were eating before Kaddish Baruch Hu, you would certainly eat in a different type of way, with more appreciation, and more, uh, more like Bechavad, uh, more, more in an honor, honorable type of way, and that is the advice that Rebbe, um, Rebbe Nachman gives us, slowly. Okay? Final piece of advice before we put this into practice, again, quoting from Rav Pincus, uh, is the following. Yud Aleph, our last source. Simply ask yourself when you sit down at the, the cafeteria, what am I about to do? Why am I eating? Like 99% of humans, you just say, well, I'm, I'm hungry, so let me go get some pizza. 
So basically, you're like an animal. You're not an animal, but that's what animals do. You're hungry, you eat. Even if it's super kosher. All you're thinking about, oh, this tastes good. Oh, wow, I'm not hungry anymore. Or just watching TV or whatever. So then that's, there's nothing holy about that. Aladem, so what should we do? Latzor, that's not to stop yourself. Lorega, levarer b'machshavatov lomer, baruch hamakom shebarazot. Wow, thank God who created this. Ribona shalolam im lo eshte anyalulamut. You know, Hashem, if I didn't drink this this water, I would die, right? Because if you don't drink, you die eventually. Ribona shalolam amashkeu gam taim. It's delicious. Gam car, it's cold. And there's even bubbles. If you're having bubbly drink. Or, you know, whatever. If it's hot and delicious and it's tasty and this little coffee bean came somehow from Mexico. and You know, whatever whatever you want to do to appreciate it. You know why I have this food? Because you love me. You want me to enjoy life. I can't believe this. How do, how do I appreciate how, how, do, how do I believe this? This is the chesed of Hashem. And when a person does that, he doesn't just, you know, drink his water. He's like, whoa, amazing. God loves me so much. I'm going to drink this. This moment of eating could be your holiest act the whole day. If we just take that one moment and say, wow, thank you so much, Hashem, what a gift. You take a nega, a plague, and you make it a pleasure. And that's eating in order to eat with Hashem and not, uh, not disconnect it. I'll be honest, the best time to do this is, of course, Shabbos. Shabbos is a lot easier to connect to eating with holiness, especially, you know, the, the Friday night Suda. But this is an avoda that can be done every single day of our lives, many, many times in our lives. And uh, most people aren't aware that it's such an amazing opportunity. And that's why I wanted to start off with this shear to give you guys this gift. So that you know that even if you're having the hardest day in the world, don't worry. Go out, you know, go buy yourself a hot cocoa, say a great bracha, and you are in the most amazing time of Vekos, and your whole day was totally worth it. Okay? Sounds good? Amazing. Okay. So now what we're going to do for the next five minutes or so, it shouldn't really take longer than that, is everyone gets a grape, okay? Everyone gets just one grape, okay? So, you know, pass around in the bag, I guess. And while that is happening, I just thought of a good story, which I think, it's a really good story. I think it really brings home this concept, which is very appropriate for Rosh Hashanah, of just constantly, um, like, taking the time to thank Hashem. And just appreciate that life is a gift. So, it, and it's a true story, and it's a personal story. So, um, I'll, I'll tell it to you guys while we're while we're passing the grapes around. So, about I think ten years ago, I was a madrich at Reishit, okay, and um, I read in a sefer or Shlomo Karbach's teachings that if you cry on Rosh Hashanah. It's a very, very holy thing. The Rizal says that. The Baba Sharevi says that. So I really wanted to cry on Rosh Hashanah. 
fix my soul. I wanted to get to a spiritual place. But how was I going to do that? So what I did, I thought of this idea. I'll write a list of all the things that were beautiful in my life, despite all the challenges I was going through, and thank Hashem for all the blessings that were happening in my life. And Baruch Hashem, nobody was around. I take a long time sometimes for my Shimon Esra, and I was to cry a little bit in my, in my, in my Amidah, thanking Hashem. Nothing said. Just thanking Hashem for the wonderful year that I, I, I had. I get down to, uh, to the meal, and my friend comes up to me. His name's Chesky. Can I ask him? And he just asked me, Yo! I think he said, Keith! That's my English name. Um, what's the deal with crying? On, like crying in Rosh Hashanah. And like, he didn't see. He had no idea. I was like, that's really weird that you asked me that question right now. It's like, like I, I'd wash my face off. I looked normal. He's like, did you see? He's like, no. He's like, so I took him up to the base. And we learned this idea of, of crying in Rosh Hashanah. And then um, right afterwards, this guy, Henry, also still a friend and a student of mine, he says, yo, you know any good books on davening? And I said, actually, that's my favorite topic to, to study, to learn. And come. So we went to the library, and uh, I found this great storybook. I knew Henry, a story, he, he needs stories for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. And it's called, like, Touched by a Story. And I say, let's open it up. We'll do one more story before we go to bed. So I opened it up randomly. And this is the story I turned to. There was a man by the Kotel, and he was crying. I was like, whoa, he's crying. And... Somebody comes up to him and says, why are you crying? What can I do? And he says, nothing, nothing. He says, please, please, I want to help. He says, you don't understand. I'm crying tears of joy. I'm crying tears of joy because I just married off my daughter or something like that. I don't know. And, and that's why I'm crying. That was the end of the story. So the night that I cried to Hashem, tears of joy, thanking Him for all the blessings, Hashem sends me these crazy miracles, this crazy story that happened to be perfectly what I was going through. So, why do I like that story? Because it's, it's, it's almost Rosh Hashanah. And, 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 you know, through a grape or whatever, but there's so many opportunities to say thank you to Hashem if we look for those opportunities, and especially in Rosh Hashanah. It's not just a time to be scared, it's a time to thank Hashem for all the blessings in our life. And that is all I have to say about that. So, <laughs> okay, apparently you can have doubles. Oh, Hashem, there's a lot of leftovers. Here's, here's the avoida, okay? It's going to go like this. You're going to take the grape in your right hand. And we're going to say a bracha together. Okay? I'm going to say, very quickly, the translation of the words of the bracha. Next week, we're going to have a whole shir dedicated to the deeper meaning behind the brachas. Okay? So today, just a simple level. We're just saying the words with a simple level of meaning. And mainly, we're feeling gratitude. And when we're eating, we're eating really slowly and, and feeling so grateful to Kaddish Baruch. That, that good? Okay. So, the meaning of the words are Baruch Atah Hashem. Baruch is, you are the source of blessing. So some people say, say we're asking God to increase His presence. But on a simple level, we're exclaiming, Bracha, blessing. Atah is from you. And we're standing in the presence of Hashem. Ado Shem, my master, my personal God, who I have a personal relationship, who I love. Elokeinu, the God of the entire Jewish people. Melech HaOlam, the king of the entire universe. You can close your eyes and just imagine the whole universe. Borei 
Peri Haetz. Not who created, but who's creating right now, like we mentioned, who's reverberating this Anav with Ayinun Bet and putting sparks of Kedusha in every fruit. And that's what we're going to bless. You can imagine you're back in the Garden of Eden. I personally suggest you close your eyes. Take a deep breath. And, and we are going to say it really slowly, each word with a lot of Kavana, and feeling so much gratitude. So much gratitude. Imagine you're on a desert island, you haven't drank or ate for weeks, and you finally get this grape, and you're so excited that Hashem gave you this beautiful grape. And we're going to say a bracha together, and we're going to eat really, really slowly. Sounds good? Okay, everybody, close your eyes. Take a deep breath. I know, it's funny. It's always funny the first time. (laughs) Try to hold back, guys. Try to hold back. Because we're doing a big avoda. The Chernobyl says it only works if you believe. you got to believe that this is our holiest moment the whole day. This is a moment of dveikus. This is a moment of really feeling close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and feeling His love and bringing down blessing into our lives. Okay, we're going to dedicate this mitzvah to all the sick people out there, everyone who's lonely, everyone who needs a little bit more simcha in their life. So on three, I'll say the bracha, and everyone encouraged to say it out loud. You don't have to scream, but say it out loud, and slowly, with a lot of kavana. Three, two, one. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Please don't get me fired after this. <laughs> you got grades. Like, how can you know? Baruch Hashem. All right. Beautiful. Shalom Aleichem and welcome to Miracles from the Holy Land. There was a man. We'll call him Rav Yankala. And Rav Yankala took upon himself the following Kabbalah. That means when you accept upon yourself to do something extra. A stringency. But... You commit yourself to doing it. And he said he would always pray with a minyan, with a prayer quorum. Now, of course, according to Jewish law, one doesn't always have to pray with a prayer quorum. You should always try to pray with a quorum, but if it's impossible, okay. If it's hard, it's okay. But Rav Yankala committed himself that this, he would n- try his best to never miss minyan. So we know that a prayer with a minyan is a more effective type of prayer, strengthens the community. It was 3 o'clock in the morning when he got back from Shabbos from a place where there was no minyan. And most of us would say, okay, this is a situation where you pray, b'yechidut, you know, daven a quick mariv and uh, go straight to bed. But not Rav Yankala. He, like we mentioned, he had to fulfill his commitment. But there was no minion where he lived in his little town. And so he took a bus 
and went to what's known as Zichron Moshe. Those of us in Yerushalayim know that this is one of the minion factories here in Yerushalayim, where there is almost always a minion, similar to Flatbush in Brooklyn, and the Kotel. But I guess it was, he didn't think of the Kotel. And uh, even at Zichron Moshe, he was surprised to see there is no Mariv minion. So what do you, what's a Jew to do? Most of us would just say, all right, I tried my best. Not Rav Yankala. He uses creative Yiddish cup head, and he said, I have an idea. He calls the cab companies, and this is truly something that you really only hear about here in the Holy Land, and he asks them, can I have eight, there's one other Jew there, eight um, Jewish cabbies, to come to Zichron Moshe. He said, what do you need eight cabbies for? Were you going to go on eight separate trips? He says, just trust me, eight Jewish cabbies. So, they all come down to Zichron Moshe one by one and he explains to them, no, you're not here to take me on a trip. Just start the meters. If it's okay with you, we're going to dive in Marv together and as soon as Marv is over in 20 minutes, I'll pay each of you whatever it costs uh, for the 20 minutes. And indeed, they pray a Mariv, and not one person asks for Yankala for money. In fact, some of them offered to pay him for the amazing experience, for the camaraderie, and for the wonderful uh, show of commitment that he showed to Hashem and to the Jewish people. This is a time of year when we start thinking upon ourselves what Kabbalahs, what commitments can we take upon ourselves to become better Jews, right? We know that just throwing, you know, thinking of ideas is nice, but when we take a commitment to do something, it's a whole nother level and great things happen. I'm going to add in one last part of the story, and that's my own personal story. So, a few years back, I had taken a commitment upon myself to do 40 days of praying at the Western Wall. It's a well-known custom. I live in the old city, so didn't think it would be too much of a problem. I didn't realize that I'd be going away one Shabbat. And I was going away to somewhere where it was quite far from Yerushalayim. And by the time Shabbos is over, it was already, it was in Somet the Barta. And I looked at the clock. And if the bus got there exactly when I got to the bus stop, maybe, maybe, maybe I'd have a chance of making it to the Western Wall by 12 o'clock and thus doing my 40 days praying at the Western Wall. I had prayed on Friday, I would pray on Sunday, but Shabbos I was away, so I needed to get there before midnight, at least that was my headspace. But the problem is, the next bus would not be coming for 45 minutes to an hour. So there was virtually no chance. I toyed with the idea of being like a hero in our story and you know taking a cab, but it was quite expensive. And I just looked up above and, and I asked God for help, and boom! The bus comes, get on the bus. Normally there was traffic. It went super fast, straight to Nachlaot. A cab came right away. I get to the Kotel approximately 11.45. Minion, minion, mighty, mighty. Before midnight, I had my Mariv. I had my 40 days at the Western Wall. Great things happen when you commit yourself to do holy mitzvahs. So during this El period, two weeks before Rosh Hashanah, this is the time of year when we can start thinking upon ourselves, where do I want to go? Where do I want to grow? Don't take everything upon yourself. Maybe just one beautiful custom, one 
one way of spiritual growth. Take a commitment, and Be'ezrat Hashem, with God's help, we will see salvations and great miracles in our life. Have a beautiful day.